Blog Talk Radio. Citizens of Patriots Nation, this is the Pax Propaganda and Friends Podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to a Super Bowl champion edition of the Pats Propaganda and Friends podcast. This is Mike Dussault of PatsPropaganda.com, and joining me, as always, is Jared Friends, Boston.com, Bleach Report, and Friends. Well, we started this podcast in uh, in 2011, and uh, it's been four long years, but uh, it's nice to finally have one where we're discussing a Patriots Super Bowl championship. It absolutely is, and then I wouldn't say it's been a long time in front of anybody else besides Patriots fans, because every time <laughs> I've mentioned those words, to, to some fan of some rival team in some rival city, uh, I get I get booed off of the radio station. So uh, that, that's happened a couple of times now. And, um, you know, it's interesting because I think the standard of excellence is so great around here and the expectations are so high. And this team is always looking like one of the teams that's going to be in it right at the end and, and is going to be competing for the Super Bowl. And the fact that they don't get there, they don't win it, it's disappointing. But um, Patriots fans have had it better than everybody else for quite some time, and and this year is definitely the uh, the definitely a, another capstone on that as well. Yeah, well, I mean, I want to talk about that because it's like I feel, and I totally get what you're saying, and and it's totally valid. But like at the same time, it's like if you look back since, especially you know 2006, 2005, you know when they started losing, it was, you know, nobody's experienced more big game losses than Patriot fans. And I know nobody wants to hear that, but it's like there's a certain level of disappointment if you're like, you know, you you know your team is, you know, maybe not going to make, maybe make the playoffs, probably not, you know, and, oh, they didn't make the playoffs again, or, uh, you know, or you know you're, you're a piece or two away. But when you have, like, the coach and the quarterback and everything in place and you know that the proverbial window is – always closing to some extent. I know that that's an overblown storyline, but, uh, you know, I mean, you know that we only had X amount of chances with Belichick and Brady. And so to, to lose multiple Super Bowls and multiple AFC championships, you know, to be so close, uh, you know, that level of disappointment to me is it's just something different. And I think that, you know, nobody's going to care or appreciate that but us. But I think there's certainly something to be said for, you know, just getting that close with this team and, you know, and not being able to get over the hump for so long. And I think that's what's been so gratifying this week. And not for anything, but the 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 fact that the Patriots are really a couple of WTF catches away from six Super Bowl yeah. wins, I, I think that says a lot, too, that the Patriots, I mean, and I mean, they were they were almost three WTF catches away from six Super Bowl championships because of the one that happened on the last drive with Jermaine Curse, but... Um, but finally, I think, you know, the one thing that we've talked about so much on this podcast is the, uh, is the fact that, you know, when, whenever Tom Brady puts the defense back on the field in a Super Bowl, uh, it seems like they, they let him down a little bit. Or in a big game, it seems like the defense kind of lets them down a little bit with a big drive. But um, I, I thought, you know, the fact that the defense came through with that big play at the end there on the one-yard line of all places, I mean, you you really can't ask you can't you can't write it up any better than that, really. And I would say that um, that's a, that's a really great way for for Brady. It's it's ironic that you know that Brady really cemented his legacy, in my opinion, in that Super Bowl just by you know coming back from down ten points in the fourth quarter, the first time it's ever been done in a Super Bowl, and not just to do that, but to do it against the number one defense in the NFL, and not just number one defense this year, the number one defense for the past three years now. 
um, you know, that's a lot to digest there. But um, but really, you know, you think about the fact that he that he did that, and then you know we wouldn't even be talking about that if Malcolm Butler hadn't made an interception at the one yard line. I just think it's it's everything about the Super Bowl win is just incredible. Yeah, and it's you know the storylines would have been the same had the defense in 2007 gotten a stop on that last drive. You know, if Tyree drops that, you know, I mean, it would have been the same. And you know, it's just it goes to show you like how how this sport is can come down to you know one yard and one play. And you know, we spend all this time analyzing all the different strengths and weaknesses, and you know, it just it it comes down to one play and you know I mean it, it, it almost makes it seem kind of ridiculous all the analysis that goes into you know every little bit of it but uh, I, I don't right. really know where to start I, I, I want to I guess I guess the best place to start is uh, we'll throw some stats at you that I thought were you know kind of telling for this team at least on their Super Bowl run and I mean the big and the big picture look you had two game ceiling interceptions in three of the playoff games the other one was a blowout so, I mean, it, it you know, it came down to the defense. And, I mean, that's what we've seen in past years where they just couldn't make that last stop. Uh, they finally did make that last stop, and they made it twice. But I think some of the interesting stats that I saw were, I think there was only, uh, I mean, the exact number is escaping, but I think they were only stopped on one offensive red zone possession. Otherwise, they scored touchdowns. I think maybe it's two. But they scored, every time they got in the red zone pretty much, they scored a touchdown. If it, You know, I think Brady's interception and the Super Bowl was one of the only times they didn't score a red zone touchdown, um, you know, which is we always talk about the old saying, you got to bring, don't bring knives to a gunfight. I mean, they were bringing guns to the gunfight every single week uh, in each of those three games. And the other stats that I thought were interesting that the defensively were third down defense. I mean, they were, they were 23%. I mean, when you look at that compared to, you know, where they were when they were the worst team on third down, the last, I mean, really, the last four years, they 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 weren't even that great this year on third down. I mean, they were always at least in the in the low 40s, and and a lot of times, I think it was like 2010 where they were up like 49, 40, 49, 50 percent. Yeah. Uh, you know, and now to be 23 percent in the playoffs. And the last stat I'll throw at you is, uh, you know, I think the thing that kind of defined this defense this year was red zone defense. You know, we really saw them come through, especially down the stretch with great red zone defense. And surprisingly, they really weren't that good on red zone defense in the playoffs. They had only three red zone stops the whole time, which were the when they forced the field goal against the Ravens, when they forced the field goal against the Seahawks, and Malcolm Butler's interception. And obviously those three plays were the difference in those two wins, mm. uh, you know. And so they weren't, they weren't exactly great on red zone, but they were certainly clutch. And, and those were kind of the, the stats, at least for the big-picture playoff run, that, that stood out to me on why they, why they were able to win the Super Bowl. And interesting you should mention the stats because the, the stats for me that, that really stand out, and this is going to sound kind of homerish, and maybe it is, but um, I would say the stats that stand out to me are the, uh, the fact that in the, in the divisional round, they came back from down 14 points twice, became the first team to do that in postseason NFL history. In the Super Bowl, they came back from down 10 points in the fourth quarter, became the first team to do that in Super Bowl history. The resilience of this team has all season long, it's been remarkable to me. Um, they haven't had to face as many comebacks as they did last year. I mean, they had the comebacks last year against 
Saints, the Broncos, mm-hmm. the Browns, the Dolphins. I mean, the, the list of comebacks last year was remarkable. But the overall resilience of this team, going back to week four when they were left for dead, Trent Dilfer said this team is not good anymore. Um, he's been eating his words all week long. And, and really just the overall, the, the, the big picture of this team and, and the fact that they were really left for dead back then to go on a, a run where they won 13 of their next 15 games. And, and really, I mean, the one, one of the two losses was in a meaningless week 17 game against the Bills where Brady didn't even play the entire game. Um, I think, you know, it's just remarkable what this team has been through this year. Uh, they had a couple of injuries again this year with Gerard Mayo and Steve Ridley going down, and they bounced back from those. Um, I mean, last year, you'll remember, they had multiple injuries and more injuries than they had this year, but those injuries really crippled them last year. And this year, I think they did a much better job of responding when they had guys go down to injuries, when they were without Brandon Browner in the beginning of the season with the suspension. Uh, things like that did not derail this team, I think. Um, they, they rose to the adversity time and time again, and I think that's really going to be one of the things we look back on this team as, as pretty remarkable. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know about you, but I mean, when the, the game, it, it didn't seem like the Seahawks could stop them. And, you know, they only really stopped themselves. Uh, and I think, you know, as we heard in, in some of the stuff mm. this week, I mean, Brady – you know, so that Edelman, uh, I mean, that was what was, I think, frustrating as the game was unfolding. It, was, it seemed like it was turning into one of those games where you're dominating, but you're just not getting points on the board. And then the other yeah. game is getting, you know, a few lucky catches. I mean, that really those first two scoring drives in the first half were, you know, I mean, just that one on Arrington uh, and, and uh, the, the receiver that they had come in, um, you know, that was that they had signed off the street, basically, that was making Hardball, plays on Chris that. Matthews. Yeah, Hardball Chris Matthews, there you go. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, that was what was just so maddening to watch, and I think as you saw the Seahawks kind of pull away as they had those, you know, four straight scoring drives after, I think it was, you know, initially three straight punts. Uh, I mean, that was what was just, you know, you kind of settled in, and when Brady threw that second interception, I mean, it really felt like we were hanging by a thread there. Uh, yeah. And, you know, and that was and that was when the defense really, you know, that's when they stepped up, they forced the field goal, and then it was, you know, and then there was no more scoring. So, they, it, like you said, it is, it's it's remarkable how resilient they were, how, you know, this, I mean, and it's just, I think it's really a testament to the kind of coaching job that, that Belichick does and the kind of players that they get. Uh, because we've seen it time and time again, that the players change, but this team is always, has this kind of resiliency. I mean, there's 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 no lead on them that is safe. And you knew you knew they were going to fight down to the wire. You just couldn't let the Seahawks get that last score, which, you know, I mean, that's that's when they shut the door, um, which was just remarkable. But I think, you know, in looking at all the, the stuff this week I wrote yesterday, it was like it's nice to finally be able to watch the Super Bowl <laughs> recap shows because I don't think I've watched <laughs> one since 2004. But, you know, all the great stuff that they have on now from NFL Turning Point to – you know, the sound effects that was a full hour long uh, inside the NFL. But I think the one guy that really just, like, stood out to me, especially in seeing kind of the behind the scenes and, and hearing him on the field was Julian Edelman. And I just, I mean, the third and 14 play that he converted uh, took a big hit. I mean, I think that that guy has just elevated into, you know, <laughs> I don't know if he's quite a legend at the I mean, but I mean, I think he's certainly on that path. And you know, we've obviously been on board since 2009 when he started. And, you know, to see him 
really replace what not only replaced Wes Welker, but I mean, even as Bedard said this week, it's 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 like Edelman is is actually better than Welker is. Uh, I'm just I'm just blown away by him and and the game he had and the player that he's become and the kind of leader he is. It just I, I it's super impressive. You're absolutely right. I think I was about to say I I think he's elevated himself to better than Welker at this point. I don't think there's really much of a question. I mean, Welker did it over a longer period of time, and I think Edelman will have that opportunity now that he has a few more years on his contract. But I, I don't think that, you know, pound, I, I don't think pound for pound, I, I don't think Welker ever had, you know, more of an impact than Edelman on this offense. And, and also, I mean, I think, you know, the other thing, too, that we kind of write off a little bit is Brandon LaFell. I mean, really, I think he's been the difference maker for this offense. And, I mean, he may not be getting, you know, all the stats. He may not be, you know, Randy Moss. But he's adding an element to this offense that's been missing for so long. And I think that's another thing where they responded a little bit. I mean, Brandon LaFell early in the season was really not playing up to standard, wasn't really on on the same page with Tom Brady. Uh, they were. Uh, I remember. I think they were 0 for 6, uh, trying to connect on the passes in the first uh, two games of the season. Uh, Bernard Lafell didn't even have a target. I think in the second game um, against. I think it was the Vikings. And um, and really, you know, for him to come along the way that he has and to just add that outside the numbers presence. I mean, you really did all season long. You had to respect Brandon LaFell, not necessarily because he was going to get downfield and, and create huge plays, but that play action to LaFell, those backside slants and, and digs to LaFell that were consistently the first play of the drive, getting the momentum started. I mean, that's really where they made a lot of hay. I think that was something that, that really worked for them. And, and uh, I think this, the fact that they've had to respect the outside, I mean, it's helped open up things for Edelman. And also for Rob Gronkowski, I mean, I mean, we don't really have to worry about opening up things for Gronkowski. He'll open up things for everybody else. But, um, but I just think that's been a complementary piece that really helped this offense take the next step forward this year, and um, and really also helped Edelman. I mean, as much as his numbers weren't as as great as they were the year before, but they were still pretty good. And and really, I think the fact that he was able to continue that uh, that kind of a, a presence was thanks to having, you know, more of a of, of a diversified offense with, with different pieces that can hurt you in different ways. Yeah, well, it kind of put to bed the whole, uh, oh, we should have signed Emmanuel Sanders debate that was kind of raging right. in, in late September. But you're you're totally right. I mean, I think, you know, this goes back a while now. It goes back since, you know, Randy Moss left and the whole deep threat of it all. But I think that <laughs> when you look at LaFell – he's the perfect player for this offense and this, he's the perfect yeah. kind of X receiver that they need. And I mean, how many times did we watch one of the Belichick's breakdowns this year? And he's pointing out LaFell's blocking, you know, I mean, I think that those are the kind of guys that you win Super Bowl championships with. It's the guys like David Givens who are hard nosed. They're not these, you know, just fast guys who are, you know, it's not Deshaun Jackson. who's just going to sprint down the field. It's just it's not the Patriots game. It's not their offense's game. And I, I know, it, you know, <laughs> and I, I don't want to bring up the whole uh, the whole captain comeback of it all, you know, giving no credit to, to an <laughs> offense because it, you know, it's just surgically destroying your defense. But, you know, the way that they move the ball and the strength that LaFell has, and, I mean, you know, and what was the issue coming in was like, oh, he, dropped, he has drops. I mean, how many – did he have any drops this year? I mean, he was just absolutely – perfect as far as I can see as, as, as you said um, you know and I think that really they're set up well with that trio of Edelman, Gronkowski and LaFell and you know you start to mix in right a little bit more next year maybe you get I'm not sure uh, 
if we're ready to turn the page to the offseason just yet. But, um, you know, overall, he was just fantastic. And, uh, you know, I think that just we got to give credit, too, to the game plan. And I think the way that Josh McDaniels and Brady attacked yeah. that Seahawks defense, um, you know, it's really something It's really something special. And it's, it's kind of too bad that, you know, people only appreciate a traditional offense. And, you know, they don't, they can't appreciate – the scalpel, as I call it, which just you know it surgically <laughs> destroys your defense. And it's, I mean, how do you how do you stop it? And when it's clicking on all cylinders for four quarters, like it pretty much was in the Super Bowl, I mean, Seattle. What did Seattle do? When did Seattle stop them? When you know Brady didn't throw an interception. I mean, every single time they were, you know, moving the ball, except for those save those you know first one or two possessions in the third quarter. And um, you know, I, I just think it, it's a testament to an offense that you know sometimes gets criticized because it's not you know, throwing bombs down the field every other play. Yeah, it's it's kind of a ridiculous criticism when you think about it because, I mean, the, the Seahawks, they had the number one defense in the NFL, okay? If, if dink and dunk was that easy to do, why hasn't every other team been able right. to do it? It's because exactly. it's really not that easy to do. It's It's really not. I mean, you have to have a quarterback like Tom Brady who is laser effective, um, and accurate and really, you know, just to, able to take advantage of soft spots in that cover three defense where, you know, you get guys like Danny Amendola crossing over the middle of the field on a drag route or you get Shane Vereen leaked out of the backfield on, on, a, on some kind of an out route against the linebacker. And you create those matchups and you have an ability to create a couple of extra yards after the catch. It doesn't have to be, I mean, there were a couple where you hit Edelman in stride and he was off to the races for another 10, 12 yards. Or Emma Dole, I remember he had a, a 10 or 15-yard screen pass he caught. But you, you don't necessarily have to get all those yards every time. And especially when you have Brady completing, I think, what, 77% of his throws? Are you kidding me? Like, of course, that's like, that's that's not going to be easy to do, and and of course that's going to be effective against cover three, where I mean there are soft spots. I mean it's that's just that's part of the, the the nature of the type of defense that they were running, and they went out of it a couple of times, but for the most part they sat in that shell because that's what they've done all season long. They they just they do what they do, as Belichick says, and when they do what they do, it just lets the opponent game plan and try to find the weaknesses, and and really all I, I would say all postseason. You got to give credit to Josh McDaniels. I wrote that in my column. I would call him the 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 postseason MVP. If there was a coaching MVP, I would call him the post the Super Bowl co MVP. If there was a coaching MVP, um, definitely you know his value. I think and and what he did uh, in terms of a game plan and how effective it was. I think you, you really can't. There's there's no there are no words good enough. I think to describe it. Well, I, we got to talk about the last drive and the last play of the game, obviously, because yeah. we're going to be we're going to be think, talking about it for the rest of our lives. Um, <laughs> I don't know about you, uh, but I <laughs> when the Patriots took the lead, I was about to walk outside. I mean, I didn't let myself yeah. walk outside and just let it unfold, but I was yeah. pretty close to considering. I don't want to see this, <laughs> you know. Uh, Man, we've been to this rodeo too many times, haven't we? Oh yes, we have, and. You know the, and I said it all week. I wrote it a bunch of times. It's like I can't get the I can't get the curse catch hit out of my stomach. You know, it's it's finally starting to fade as I've as I've watched the the interception uh, enough times. But 
that moment, I mean, in that moment, you just knew, I mean, I don't even have to put it into words. Everybody who's a Patriots fan, you knew exactly what they were thinking and exactly how they were feeling when Curse came up with that ball. And, you know, I always say you can't truly appreciate a win unless you've accepted defeat at some point. And, I mean, I don't think I've ever accepted worse defeat than I did in those moments of, you know, the, the that after that catch, I mean, it was, you know, whatever the time frame was, I should go back with a stopwatch, so I'm kind of curious, because it felt like an eternity, where I essentially was like, this is how it's going to end, Brady, you know, I had it all laid out, Brady's legacy, three Super Bowls, three miracle catches and losses, you know, and then we get, which I don't think, you know, has gotten some credit, but I, we really need to make sure it gets credit, the stop on first down on Marshawn Lynch, which, I mean, you see great play by Dante Hightower, I mean, you know, yeah. now he's playing with a with a hurt shoulder I mean just you just see how he gets under that block and I mean it is he just makes that tackle and then of course it comes you know we've heard it analyzed all week but I mean you know for Butler to have that kind of recognition and you know so much of the conversation you knew it was going to be surrounded by oh why didn't they just run it you know I think I think for me, as a, you know, I think I've watched enough football to know that they're probably not going to run it four straight times. They got to throw it at least once. They've only got one timeout. On paper, that seems like a pretty good play. I mean, if you go back and you look, uh, I think it was in the uh, in in 2000 and, uh, 2009 after fourth and two against Peyton Manning, same play, other side of the field to Reggie Wayne on Jonathan Wilhite, same thing, throw the ball. I, I'm just amazed, Butler, making that play, having that kind of recognition, that kind of burst on the ball. I didn't think he caught it at first. I was like, yeah, what? Wait, wait, what just happened? I thought it hit the ground, and then I see, you know, when I finally saw Wilson walking off the field, unbuckling his helmet, that's when it sunk in and, uh, you know, go nuts and break stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And, I, I mean, I'm with you on all that. I think one thing that, it, it, for my money, it hasn't gotten enough talk is the um, – is the the block of, well not the necessarily the block the jam by Brandon Browner on yep. I think it was Jermaine Curse maybe it was or yep. maybe yeah, it was. I don't remember who um, but it, it was, was it was a good jam to to keep the receiver out of the way uh, Butler if if Browner hadn't gotten that jam Butler wouldn't have been able to get through to uh, to get that pick so good on on Browner to do that. Um, you know, I was, I think everybody also had the oh crap moment when they went deep against Browner. Um, and, and you know, he was, he nearly got, or not nearly, but I mean, every time they throw deep on Browner, you're worried about PI. And I think that's, you know, <laughs> good on him to not give up PI in that situation, but definitely a situation I think where, um, you know, for Butler to, to, to have made that play, he had to know it was coming. Um, there's no other way he would have made it. He was to the, he was going to the ball at the exact same moment as uh, as as uh, Brett Lockett made that cut inside. Um, he was already on his way there. I don't think there's really a whole lot they could have done differently. And really, you know, I, I don't know that, you know, you, a lot of people have criticized the route, you know, because you throw a slant over the middle. You, you might want to instead throw a fade. But if you're going for a touchdown, why would you throw the fade when when you know that that's a low percentage, I mean it's a low risk, low reward play. I mean at least you know with the with the slant, you I mean you have a chance to get somebody open, and that window was there. I mean that window was oh, there. Yeah. Butler just had such a great break on the ball that he got there 
before Lockett did. So, mm-hmm. I mean, a, a slower corner wouldn't have gotten there in time. And I think that's something that also has to be taken into account is that the play call itself wasn't necessarily bad. And I think that's something that's going to take – I mean, in the in the minds of some, it's going to take away from this win a little bit. Some people are going to just say, you know, oh, well, you know, if the, if the Seahawks hadn't made a stupid play call down at the one-yard line, the Patriots wouldn't have won that Super Bowl. But I think a lot more goes into it. I also think that the fact that the Patriots didn't call a timeout there probably threw the Seahawks off a little bit because they were hoping to be able to run it because they were hoping the Patriots would call timeout. But when they didn't, then the Seahawks panicked and, and went to the pass play instead. Oh, man. I mean, it was so funny because I think, like, again, I think probably we all had the same kind of thinking in our head where it was like, you know, they stopped Lynch, and then it was like, all right, it's call timeout. Are they going to call timeout? What's going on? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then you're like, well, fuck, well, this is it. This is it. Here we go. Like, you know, you just kind of accepted, (laughs) like, you know, ride or die right here. Um, But I think, too, you know, another thing hasn't really been pointed out is, you know, the Patriots, they stopped Lynch on third and one in the third quarter, that one red stone to stop they got, they stopped them on third and one. And I mean, I know that their, uh, that their short yardage run stopping was, you know, one of their weaknesses this year, but you know, they had their goal line defense in there. So I don't know. I, I understand the play call. I, you know, and just an amazing play. So we can enjoy this all off season and we just have a couple minutes left friends. So I'm going to play a little game with you. I'm going to throw some players at you and then you tell me, resign or block or, you know, restructure just, you know, quickly. We'll do kind of rapid fire so we can kind of get through everybody, all right? All right. Let's start with Revis. Bring him back. Yeah, I think resign. Uh, McCordy. Bring him back. Franchise tag? Um, I would say so. I think um, it's going to cost quite a bit. I mean, those, those safeties are getting a lot of money these these years, I mean, it's around seven to eight million dollars for the top safeties in the league. So, um, ah, yeah, you could tag him, but tag is really only going to delay the inevitable, and I think that's just going to make things uglier down the line here. But I think McCordy, they like him enough as a as a person and as a player that, uh, and just you know, on and off the field, I think he's such a leader for them that he would warrant a long term deal, in my opinion. What about Vereen? Let him go. He's gonna to get too much money from some of the team that's gonna really be wanting to uh wanting to beef up their backfield and they're gonna be enamored with what he did in the Super Bowl. That was I mean, great performance by him, but I mean how many times this year have we really talked about Vereen as a difference maker in this offense? I really don't think they that, that the Patriots are gonna be they don't have really pay their running backs anyway, so I I I think this is pretty obvious. Ridley? Yeah, I would say the same. Um and especially just given his uh, his injury that ended his season, you know, to his knee. You never know what's going to happen with those guys. And He's been in the doghouse so much for the Patriots. I mean, you know, if anything, I think the knee injury might actually work in his favor for re-signing with the Patriots. Maybe they'll bring him back on a one-year prove-it type of deal um, for, you know, a million dollars, two million dollars, just something, uh, something small to keep him around. But some other team might be more willing to pay him a little bit more then. Connolly. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I did. I actually did this uh, a couple of days ago in a column, and I said bring him back um, only because I don't really trust Jordan Debbie or Marcus Cannon just yet. But if the Patriots have other options at free agency or maybe they like somebody in the draft, uh, I think you could move on from him. But 
um, at a different number because his cap hit over the past two years has been $4 million. That puts him in the top 15 in the NFL. I don't think he's worth that much. What do they do with Mayo? Um, I think you've got to renegotiate him. I mean, it's just two season-ending injuries in a row for him. He's, what, 30 years old now or 29 years old, I think. Um, and I think also you have Collins and Hightower, um, guys who prove they can do it for you. Do you really need – I mean, you, you obviously you obviously want all the talent you can get at linebacker, and I think that's been a, a weak spot for them is the lack of depth at linebacker. But um, I don't know that you can pay that much money or continue to pay that much money for, for Mayo when you know that you have better, younger options ready for you. Yeah, I feel like we could do a whole show on Mayo. I mean, it's uh, yeah, he's just fa- he's fascinating to me because it seems like they love him. You know, what I mean, it just seems like he's everything. And you know, yeah, we we talk plenty about Mayo. That'll that'll be a show for the off season. But uh, <laughs> last last one, Will Fork. Um, you got to renegotiate him somehow. Uh, what is he? Eight million dollars? I don't think he's worth that this year. Um, I mean, he's been a good player for them, but. Again, same same situation as linebacker. They, they've been just a lack of depth there has really been what's hurt them. Um, Gilbert Salinga, you know, he has the potential to step into that next Will Fork type of role, I think. Um, he's a lot better than people think. Um, and Dominique Easley, I mean, I still love the potential there, but, I mean, the rookie season was not great, and he ended on IR. Um, so I think he's got he's to gotta really take a step forward this next year and really uh, take that spot as the, the pass rushing defensive tackle. Well, that'll do it for us. Uh, we, we picked up our podcast game at the end of the year, and uh, we'll hopefully continue it into the off season. And uh, obviously there'll be plenty to talk about, but I want to thank everybody for joining us and for, uh, you know, all the readership and traffic and support this year. It's been awesome. It was great to celebrate all this with you guys. Uh, so that's it for this season. I guess signing off, Mike Dussel, PassPropaganda.com. Eric Friends, Bleacher Report, and Boston.com. We will talk to you guys soon.